Skin Around. I'm John Cronshaw. And I'm Russell Evans. So last week, Russ, you went on the show and I spoke to a guy called Ewan Lawson, who is an expert in health for writers. Did you listen to the show? I did. Excellent. Did you learn anything from that show? Is there anything that you think you will take into your writing life from that? Largely, it was a bit posture and where you're writing. I don't have a, a an office or a desk or anything I write at. I've I've got my laptop hooked up to my television and I've got a uh, a wireless keyboard. So I, I'll normally sit, sort of try and maintain good posture, good uh, lotus flower <laughs> posture, um, cross-legged on my settee with my laptop across my knees, which, you know, I don't know if it's the best, but it's quite comfortable. My, I do have lower back problems as well. It, it's essentially the consistency of tinfoil. So I try and keep myself active anyway. My work keeps me active. I'm on my feet about nine hours a day, constantly moving. And because of the problems with my back, I do regular yoga exercises in the morning and in the evening as well before I go to bed. So a lot of what he said made a lot of sense to me. And I'm quite glad that I'm already doing some of those things because I'm awful at putting things into practice over time. Largely, this is a necessity now so that I can maintain the ability to sort of move comfortably and still function as an adult with a job. And what he said also about the idea of the psychological pressure you could put on yourself when it comes to how much should I be writing? What's my word limit? Am I burning myself out? I thought that was important because obviously we speak away from the podcast as well. And when you'd told me you'd written the Stop Booking Around book in such a short time, I was was just like, you're a madman. You are insane. And I find it an incredibly impressive act. But we did also talk about how it it does have a wearying effect on you. And it brings you very close to burnout if you're you're not careful. And I've been thinking a lot about that because with my anxiety and and, and such, you, you do put weird pressures on yourself. And I've been I've been trying to remember that I'm I'm doing this for me. And although there is this impetus and obviously your prompting and support to keep me regular, I need to know that sometimes there'll be like you know, due to my state of mind or my life outside of writing, there'll be times where I can't just sit down and write. And I need to be okay with that. I can't just say like, oh well, I just can't write at all, but I need to accept the fact that there'll be times when I can't write and I can't be anxious about it. And then sort of on the flip side is take advantage of those times when I can. And what I've found is that if I haven't been able to write for a couple of days, I'll start to feel bad. I'll start to feel anxious about it. I'll start to feel kind of like I'm letting you down, letting me down. And now you keep showing me tweets from people. I feel like I'm letting them down, which is obviously just my own mind. If they're making you feel like that, (laughs) they're not. No, like everything makes me feel anxious at some point. So I can't remove those things from my life because I wouldn't be able to function as an adult, as a person. So don't, because it is nice and it is reaffirming. I've said before, I do, I do prefer to think of this as just two friends talking about writing and and like helping each other write and, and such like that. But it is a bigger thing and it is nice to have sort of outside parties kind of talking about it and realising that it's actually it's a real thing. It's not just just some little localised thing. But anyway, to get back to the anxiety thing is, is that I have to accept it for what it is, but then I also, if I'm going to do something about it to alleviate it, I have to take those moments that do that I am free where I'm not having to look after a little one or do chores or, or anything like that. Um, and what I've found is that even if I make a little bit of progress in those moments, it often makes me feel 
better, well enough to sort of overcome any previous sort of anxiety about the whole writing thing. And I think that's just something that I'm going to have to keep on working at. And as I get more of this written, I'm hoping that the anxiety about output will sort of die down a bit as I can look back on what I've already output and be like, yes, you, you're doing it. You're, you're moving along and maybe it's not at some sort of regular pace, but it's, it's carrying on and it's growing and I can look back and see the progress, which is, I think, most important thing for me because as a person, I've always been used to either doing every, something all in one go or just not at all. And this is, I think, good it's good training for things like emotional intelligence as well, For because well, I've never had great emotional intelligence. I've always been a uh, short-term gain, long-term loss kind of person. And this is more of a short-term loss, long-term gain thing. And I want to pursue it continuously so that it, it improves me. One thing that I have found really useful, actually, this has just reminded me, is start tracking what you're doing. Start hmm. recording it on a spreadsheet. You can do it as word counts. Like I track word counts. I track the amount of words I edit every day. And I can see, I've been doing this since like 2016 now, I think. And I look back and it was like I was averaging somewhere in the region of 2,000 words on a writing day. Hmm. So this would be essentially framed around the school day. So, you know, before my son being at nursery and then obviously he's in school now. So I have to kind of work my writing day around him. Hmm. And... You know, it was 2,000-odd words, and now it's in the region of four and a half to 5,000 words on a writing session. Now, that could be first draft stuff, that can be editing, but that is building up and it's consistent. And I've not been able to do that overnight. That's taken me two years to get from that. And bear in mind that I was working in journalism as well, so I was already doing a lot of writing every day as part mm. of my job. But I found the tracking things is really good. This is why I do my Author Diary podcast every week, because... I sometimes feel like I'm not doing anything. I feel like I'm going nowhere. And then, you know, I've been doing my Author Diary podcast now for nearly a year. I listened to the first episode this past week, and I thought, actually, I've come a long way in a year. I've done so much. And I think if I wasn't tracking that, I wouldn't have that feeling, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, So doing things like, as I say, sticking it in a spreadsheet or just writing it down and recording what you're doing might be beneficial to you in terms of you not going, okay, I've not done anything, I've made no progress. If you can see the progress, you can quantify it, you can measure it. There's that old saying, if you can't measure it, uh, how can you improve it? Mm. <laughs> that applies to writing, that applies to things like editing tasks, that applies to things like marketing. And it even applies to thinking about your stories and your fiction and, and planning and all that stuff. Another thing as well, going back to last week's podcast, is the stuff that, you mentioned this guy who had bipolar and it was the idea that, you know, you are the expert of yourself and sometimes, you know, your mood and your mental health fluctuates. And this is the same with everyone. And, you know, don't beat yourself up if you're feeling anxious this day because you're not doing this, but take it as a kind of big picture thing of like, okay, you've got something else going on. Okay. That's not your fault. But if you've got say, you're wasting time and you feel great and you know there is no real reason why you're not doing it then okay you could maybe feel guilty about that if you so desired (laughs) (laughs) but what you're doing with your writing Russ, you're making something meaningful to you this is something that's tangible that's solid that has been in your imagination for years and it's 
not going to be an easy process at times, but keeping going, you know, if you keep going, you keep doing it and you try and be as consistent as you can within the limits of your mental health and life and things like that. I think that's, that's where you need to be and just kind of accept that and be comfortable with that. Mm. That makes sense. No, it does. I mean, largely what, the way I look at it sometimes when I take a step back and I feel a bit anxious is that like, I haven't stopped, if you know what I mean. This hasn't like, I haven't trailed off. I haven't sort of put this aside. Even if I haven't been as regular with it as, as I would like to or feel I should, I've still kept at it even if it's just in my head still kept it present there and i'm still and I'm speaking to people about it has helped as well boring the people i work with and uh <laughs> welcome like to my world yeah and also just having the podcast as well it's been something that's kept me regular uh, and you know having you sort of egging me on and, and mildly deriding me for not doing enough as uh, <laughs> it's really helped this whole process is um it's teaching me things about myself uh, and my capabilities and such and showing the benefits of, of sticking to something. And yeah, the, when I, I realise that when I talk to people about it, I am passionate about it. I am invested in it and, you know, I do, I enjoy telling people about it, whether they enjoy hearing it, it's a different story, but I enjoy it which makes me feel it makes me feel that feeling of, of what I want, which is I want to write a story and I want people to read it. So that's, that's the kind of the crystallized goal I think is just basically, I want to write a story and yeah. I want it to be read. And people want to read it as a, you know, I've sent you yeah. tweets of people saying that, you know, they want to read it. So yeah, that's, that's good. You've already got an audience, which is a lot more than uh, mm. <laughs> authors usually get. So you know. yeah. I've got a bit of a head start and I I do appreciate it. Yeah. So where are you then? Where where are you in terms of your progress on, because I think last time we spoke, you were um, struggling a bit, I think, with your second novella outline. I got to this point where I'm like, right, well, I've had this first chapter in my head for for fucking years and a general idea of the, the sort of the larger arc of the story. But it was getting down to the nitty gritty that was, I suppose, the real... Uh, heavy lifting and because I was essentially forcing myself which is what you know you have to do to sort of I'm like right now you have to come up with the you know the little bits now you have to come up with everything that sort of fills the gaps in between those big grand arcs and events that I'd I'd sort of that had easily come to me I suppose I kind of regressed a little bit and just started to try and write and because I was I was finding it difficult to just sit there and, and plan out the scene. So I went back to the the first way I did it, the way that you sort of showed me how to do it, was I, I gave myself 20 scenes as a rough estimate for this uh, chapter. And I started just, instead of trying to do it sequentially, I just kind of went, right, well, what do I want to happen? What's important about this chapter? What's what's its point in terms of the character and the world? And I started trying to think of moments and scenes that would put that across. You know, some of those scenes are going to be about exposition about the world. Some of them are going to be about events that show us more about Dora's mentality. Some of them are going to be almost just purely for the purpose of driving things forward is like little little events and such that keep the story going. And with that in mind, I, I just sort of... So you say, you say that last one like it's a minor thing. 
<laughs> oh yes, you need those, don't you? Events, story, story, Ross. Things that happen. That's that's what I'm writing yeah. about. Something that happens. So yeah, I've created a 20 point scene plan finally that I'm I'm happy with and sort of what I'd already started writing, I've kind of dissected a little bit and sort of like, well, actually this this little bit of info here can go in this scene because what I'd started to do is like I had all these all those things I'd spoken about there in my head and was trying to apply them to each thing I wrote. And it's like, well no, just separate them out, everything in its own time. Each scene can have its own purpose. I've just got to sort of sit back and do the the heavy lifting and sort of separate them out. Um just in terms of where my brain works and, and my dyslexia. Cause like I say, my my old bad habit was to do everything all at once or just not at all. So I've had to sort of it's almost been more of an endurance thing to be like, right, okay, now what about this next thing and this next thing and this next thing instead of just focusing on one thing and trying to grow that into something larger like I said I've just taken the larger idea and sort of reverse engineered it backwards into 20 scenes just make sure that you see how each scene can be linked back to Dora's vulnerability and the evolution of her character because Mm. you always want this kind of moving forward but then you always want the theme as well to be there Yes. You can do that by making sure that it's always about her coming to terms with her vulnerability, um, as we've discussed. <laughs> yeah. Length, I, think. I don't know what you want to do. I don't know if you – have you actually started writing, getting into writing the scenes of the second draft or – Yeah, bits and bobs. Nothing nothing major. Like I said, I'd, I'd started this – like almost stream of consciousness where I thought like, I'm just going to sit down, I'm going to start writing. It wasn't planned out well enough. So I've sort of taken what I wrote and kept uh, almost just sometimes sentences and taken those and, and put them into like, right, well, I actually want that kind of sentence or that sort of exposition here. And I want this kind of event and this kind of experience here. So yeah. I've taken what I initially like a draft of my draft for this and split it up and turned it more into more of a directional thing. But and now that I've split that up and put it into different places, when I move from scene to scene, I'll already have like a little key point and not just a a broad descriptor of what happens in that scene but a almost like flavor text i suppose or things that will prompt my memory to well, recall what i wanted to go for like the the, the themes and, and such in this chapter and just yeah. where i wanted to put them i mean it's up to you what you want to do with this i mean you could carry on and essentially do the first draft of this I personally think it would be more valid for you now to make sure your plan is at a point where you can leave it for a bit to simmer and then go back to your shitty first draft of the first novella and start reworking that. Yeah. So this is where you're going to go through and, you know, you're going to tell the story how you really wanted to tell the story and keep your first draft in a separate file. Mm. (laughs) Don't ever delete that. I think there's certain things that you can lose when you do the rewrites and things like that like there's a certain energy with your first draft and sometimes it is helpful to kind of go back and go okay what was i getting at here why isn't this working as well try and do that over the next month if you can yeah on that. i don't know it's up to you <laughs> well i'll probably i'll honestly probably split my time between the two knowing me because the way my brain works it, it randomly fires ideas at me at times and it's hard to sort of pin it down and force it to do something sort of 
continuously. So I'll, I'll go back and I'll start sort of reworking my shitty first draft. But if something comes to me in regards to this shitty first draft of the, of the second part, yeah. um, I will probably take the time to just go in there and, again, probably just add it like flavor text, like um, a stimulus for what I want that to be. Yeah, whatever you find helpful, really, whatever is best. I'm just thinking... Do you carry around a notepad? Uh, I've got my phone. I've got a, a, like a note-taking thing on my phone that's actually pretty okay. good. So yeah. a lot of the time I'm, when I'm supposed to be doing my job, I'll be sitting in the corner for five minutes because an idea has come to me. Obviously on your break. and Obviously on my break, yes, because <laughs> I am a responsible person who does their job responsibly. <clears throat> yes. You know, doing things like that, keeping notes and stuff, I think that'll help you. And this is actually a really difficult stage is, you know, your first draft, you are, you already now going and it's going to be terrible. Mm-hmm. Okay. Your job now is almost to make sure. Do you remember I was talking to you about the, the commandments of storytelling where it was like, right, each scene needs an inciting incident. Each yeah. scene needs a progressive complication. It needs a crisis. It needs a climax. It needs a resolution. So when you go through your first scene, see if you can identify those things. If you're, first scene doesn't have a inciting incident if nothing is really happening then okay you need something to happen you need something that is going to turn that scene and change it once you've kind of identified that see if you need to add any lines any turns in the progression of the story go through it scene by scene again Mm. and just check i don't know maybe the last couple of paragraphs last page just see how they end if they're all ending on a downer try throwing in something where it ends positively. Yeah. You know, so you're not just playing at the same tone. Think of it like, you know, let's say emotional roller coaster. The point of a roller coaster is it goes up and down and up and down. <laughs> and there's bits where it goes fast and there's bits where it goes slow, a bit where it builds up and then you've got the big climax thing. So it's thinking about it in those terms and varying stuff up, making sure that it's varied. Yeah. And, you know, we can do things like we can talk about pacing at a later date and things like that and how you start ratcheting up things like tension. You know, there is a lot to do, but again, yeah. second draft, you're not going to be focused on the sentence-level stuff. This is still all story stuff. And ask me questions if you want, you know, when we, <laughs> throughout mm. the week or whatever. Yeah, um, well, so there's a long way to go, and there's a lot of, I think, still a lot of lessons to learn. So I'm just keeping that in mind. And it's like, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've got to find my pace, really. I think that the more I do this, the more habitual it's going to become, the more I'll find my own time and space and, and like I said, pace, which I can do it and keep it consistent. I think that's the, one of my primary goals is to find the right pace for myself and to find the moments and, and make it a more structured experience. What I'm going to try and do, I've got an author in mind, actually, is there's an author called Paul Teague, who is amazing at structuring and time management and things like that. So what I'll do is I'll do what I did with you and I'll I'll have a word with him, put it on a podcast feed and you can have a listen to that. He'll talk about time management and how he structures his life, which from what I can gather is, is a lot more structured than mine. <laughs> By the minute. <laughs> By the hour, definitely, you know. Um, yeah. We'll, I'll talk to him and then probably have a bit of a follow-up on that as well. Is there anything that you feel an urgent need to talk about you know in our next episode I don't know is there anything in terms of writing craft that you want to open another can of worms on and discuss 
Um, yeah. It, um, one of the things I'm interested in is the small and sometimes large differentiations between characters and, and how to show that through your writing. Thing, you know, things like uh, body language and uh, the type of dialogue characters use. I know that like sort of dialogue is going to be something far down the road in terms of sort of third third draft when I start getting down to sort of like the real nitty gritty. But yeah, like. Because we've spoken before about sort of show, don't tell. So instead of saying like, oh, Dora was annoyed or bored or something like that, it's do it as a descriptor show, show like yeah. Yeah. things through body language. So yeah, yeah it'd be, it'd be awesome. great yeah. to talk about that. Yeah, well, we'll do we'll do that next week then. We'll talk about that. And um, no, that's that sounds like a good one to have a think about. So remember, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at jlcronshaw. You can also help support the show by checking out the Stop Booking Around book. It's a paperback, audiobook. It's on Kindle, it's on Amazon. Find it, download it, support the show. So until next time, cheerio. Bye. Bye.